0: Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Learn how to eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
1: Sometimes you meet someone and you feel as if you have known them forever, maybe from another life, or maybe just because you're Personalities were cut from the same cloth when God or whoever does that was doing the cutting. I feel like that about our guest today returning for her third time to the Main Street Vegan program, the inimitable and really fun and infinitely talented Ivana Lynch. Hey, everybody. This is Victoria Moran. I'm your host for the Main Street Vegan program. And as you can tell, I am so excited about speaking once again to Ivana Lynch. I believe she needs no introduction, but just to be polite and do one anyway. Ivana is an actress. She is an Irish lass living in London. Her first uh, roles that got her reputation was playing Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter films. She is also a vegan activist. She is the founder of Kinder Beauty. And she is a wonderful writer whose memoir, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, is brand new, and absolutely stunning. I can tell you that because I just read it. Well, actually, I just listened to it on Audible and highly recommend that because then you get to be read to by the author. <laughs> Welcome, Ivana.
2: Thanks, Victoria. Thanks for having me on. And I feel the same. I, you know, but if we connected. Um a few years ago but I was connected to you for a while through your podcast and I felt that way too I was like oh finally somebody talking about veganism in a way that I really I feel seen and I feel supported so um yeah definitely I feel that too and your podcast helped me on that journey so much so I'm happy Uh, to talk to you as
1: always thank you that means a lot So Ivana, let's just jump right into your book. I I just finished it. And I think whenever you read a book that really speaks to you, you live in that book. And I found myself, I was actually in communication with my literary agent about my next book. And I found myself being so open and telling him things that relate to the book, but probably that I wouldn't have said to him had I not been reading your book with all its incredible honesty. So um, let's start from the beginning. What cool. what caused you to become not only an actress, but a writer?
2: And um, I think just a, a frustration and not being able to express myself the way I wanted, you know? Um, and I suppose because my career did start as an actress and it's always been in the spotlight, having people write about me. And it just really frustrated me seeing people write about me and me feeling, Oh, that's not how I wanted to say it. Or I feel like I have a better way of expressing it. Um, so it maybe part of it was a control thing of taking back my story and, you know, I, it it was, it was part of my healing journey to start talking about this publicly to kind of own, yeah, I had this problem. I had, I struggled with mental illness, um, to, to put that out there, but, but then it felt like, oh, wow, I've exposed myself. It's a very vulnerable thing. And also it's one of the things that people most want to talk about with me. And I think just over the years, I've been like, I'm tired of talking about this. And yeah, I feel like I've something to say. So I wanted to get it all down in a book to really kind of tell my story in my own words so that I don't have to keep telling it through other people. Um and 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 yeah, and I felt like I, I get a lot of letters from young people asking, how do you recover from these things? What what was your journey like? And I just felt like, you know what? I can't answer it in a letter or an Instagram post, so let me just put everything down the way I want to talk to people through stories, through books um, and, and then and then I'll feel at peace. and I do I feel very liberated now that I've, now that I've put it out there, and I feel like I can actually fully move on and, and and I understand those experiences better. I think that part of my life i'm I'm leaving it behind now.
1: Yes. Well, the mental illness that you talk about is anorexia, and I relate because I came through a binge eating disorder, which had little uh, parenthetical periods of extreme dieting. I just didn't have that anorexic gene that enabled me to endure prolonged suffering, which is really what it sounds like anorexia is, and you describe it just so exquisitely in the book. I think anybody who has experienced it, who's wondered about it, who has a loved one who's experienced it really needs to read the opposite of butterfly hunting to get a sense of what's going on inside the person who's dealing with this.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: can you just tell us in your words before reading the book, um, what it's like? What,
2: that, what anorexia was like? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I would say I, I do see a lot of parallels between all eating disorders. It was when I read Jasmine Singer's book, actually, Always Too Much and Never Enough. That's where I was like, wow, there's so many similarities between starvation and uh, binging. Um, it's it's all this idea that you're either going to punish yourself or reward yourself with food. Um, and to, But to me, it's like a type of addiction. D- definitely anorexia was because it, it's like... <laughs> It's like you're lacking um, a purpose. You don't know who you are. And and for me, it was an existential problem. It was a sense of who am I? What's my worth? What's my whole purpose in, in the world? And I didn't know, you know, those questions were far too big to have an answer to at 11 years old. And then I just kind of found this thing that gave me a purpose every day, which was controlling my body and controlling what I ate. And it, it did, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there's there, there, there must be, like psychiatric studies about the brain chemistry about why certain people do get like it, it does feel like a rush when you um, kind of cut more or when you're when you just go lower and lower It, it, it that addiction and, and people don't understand that that's that's more comforting than than eating and um, I, I feel like there must be something in the brain chemistry but I, I don't understand it I, that would be a question for somebody else Um, but yeah it's just I mean, you don't, it's nothing that you consciously do. It's just it over time, it becomes your coping mechanism. As I say, it becomes your purpose every single day. So you don't have to think about the bigger questions, the kind of the deeper pain. And and so you kind of become numb. And, and that is the thing. And that's the point I'm making in this book is that, you attain a level of safety from and I understand that need for safety but it, it really sucks dry your personality and um, your creative energy like I was a very creative child before that happened and that was the thing that was the most like profound loss to me that my creativity dried up I just stopped doing and making things because I was afraid of anything that wasn't perfect and that didn't that didn't have a clear end or clear way to be done with it um yeah, I could go on and on, but that's sort, of, <laughs> that sort of it in a nutshell.
1: Well, there's a, there's a wonderful book that people can read if they want uh, the on and on. But I relate so much, especially to that word perfect, because mm-hmm. I remember as, as a, a kid and, and, you know, and it's still vestiges of that continue. The standard is perfect and and anything less than that really takes some kind of of um, psychological spiritual work to accept Mm -hmm. and I think that particularly about bodies and female bodies we live in this culture with standards which I think are mercifully loosening but for such a long time there was just one way that was acceptable and it's really hard to present that to a young girl and say here go do this.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah yeah um Yeah, you've said that beautifully (laughs) Victoria, I'm not sure what else to add to that, Um, but I suppose I do think perfection is like a, a, maybe a patriarchal concept that, you know, because it's all about productivity, you know, that, um, about getting things done, about finishing things and i think you know i'm all all into that mysticism about the sacred feminine that energy and i do like the feminine energy is much more fluid and creative it literally creates life you know and it's much more sensual and i think uh, in this society that is obsessed with productivity and hustling and achieving we're really afraid of Uh, this fluid feminine energy that's kind of like where's it going what's it going to do is it going to prove me worthy and it's like no it's more it's more unpredictable than that it's um that's what I think creativity is and I think of course you have to have both you have to have discipline like you can't just have wild messy creative energy and no structure on it you have to have that more um I don't know, logical brain to come in and put some structure on it and, and fit it into like TV shows and books and things like that. But um, yeah, I do think we're afraid of it. And I think that's a lot to do with the eating of too. It's like wiping away all femininity, even bodily, like physically wiping away weakness and trying to be like invulnerable. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, this fear of, of that type of energy.
1: Mm. Fascinating. You also were saying just before we started recording that about weird kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 how, you know, whether a, a young person has an eating disorder or not, kids who are quirky, kids who are a little bit just not like everybody else, they're just so vulnerable mm-hmm. and I think turn into the most amazing adults. So it's almost like weird kids of the world of whatever age unite.
2: Mm. Yeah, well, because they see through all the lies, don't they, and the, the, the fakeness, and that's what um, my, my therapist, Natasha, who's in the book, she, she would say that there are kids coming into the world to wake us up, to kind of point out this is not okay, or um, to make us see a different angle, to not be asleep and just accepting the injustices things like that um so but it's uncomfortable because you when you're young and you're growing up you're like why do I feel so uncomfortable all the time why do I feel like I can't relate to anyone or nobody understands me but that like that's when you speak about these things you realize oh there's so many weirdos and and I think we just need to be honest we need to be brave enough to be honest about those feelings of discomfort and oddness because you'll find more people who say yeah i'm not okay with this either i mean like even animal rights veganism to speaking up about these things and finding a community saying you know what i agree this is so messed up and i i don't just want to accept the status quo and accept that this is too big a problem to solve and i think it takes those weirdos and those idealists to go let's shake things up because it doesn't feel right Um, but yeah, unfortunately, as as children, you're kind of too afraid to voice those things and you become isolated and then it turns into shame. So yeah. Um... I'm with you. I'm all for like weird kids kind of growing up and speaking their truth. Yeah. And and weird adults. Uh, I think
1: Natasha would probably not be offended to be put in that category. No. I loved her. I know this is a memoir. You were telling truth, but so much of it was like a novel in terms of the characters. I mean, I feel that I know <laughs> yeah. Natasha. I feel that I know your mom. And I just want to say something about her. She sounds magnificent, both of your parents, but Aww. you talk in the book about how she baked all all the time. And when I was researching my very first book, Compassion, The Ultimate Ethic, I, I was still in college. So this was back in like 1980. And I went to the UK and Ireland To research vegans because there were more of them in a smaller space. So in Dublin, I stayed with a priest. His name was Father Padraic Story. And he was so cool. He would take his dog and his budgie in the cage whenever he went (laughs) on his parish rounds. And he was vegan except for his parishioners' pastries. So we would show up at the doors of these people just randomly. And they were like, Oh, come in, Father. And we'd come in, the bird, the dog the American and they would have this spread of baked goods it was like everybody had a bakery somewhere in the back and I guess that's just Irish culture but you so brought that back to me with your mom
2: oh that's lovely no it's a big part of her I mean I think it might be just that like like the Irish culture we have grown up in the shadows of um sort of the dark side of catholicism which is but using shame and guilt to to control um i don't think that's the, the the truth of it but but that's there and and people aren't very good at expressing their feelings expressing their love but i think they 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 are good at kind of putting it into like that's my mom's way of of showing that she loves you or like whenever i come home the first thing is she'll kind of fly me with cakes and things like that and and I mean that was another journey going vegan because then it it was like offensive it it really hurt her to kind of reject those things but we found a way around that she's a great vegan baker now um but but yeah I think I think that it's a and that's why I think we should talk more about the emotional relationship with food when going vegan because for some people it almost does cut them off from their family and and it's not just so food is charged with emotion and love and hate and everything really um so uh yeah it's 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 delicate I believe and you would understand that anyone who's been through an eating disorder understands that but yeah that she's always that way it's like her first love language is food and and um I I just I always know that if I like it helps our relationship when I just accept and and accept that love you know um yeah let her let her do that let her love in that way Oh, that's beautiful. So let's talk
1: about another female role model that you had, Natasha. And it was so interesting to me as as you introduced her in the book and and talked about her input that as I understand it, she's a therapist, but she also seemed to me like a kind of Gaelic shaman. (laughs) She just seemed like so in touch with really mystical energies. And then as your story proceeded, you ended up at an eating disorders clinic that was very cut and dried, very Mm -hmm. strict and rules bound. And my question, Ivana, is looking back from now a long distance and from adulthood, do you feel that if you'd just been left with Natasha, you would have recovered or that you actually needed that harsher intervention at that time?
2: Yeah, that's a good question and it's a hard question to answer you know I um I think I always would have recovered like but you know that's that could be naive who knows because that the thing is eating disorders can get out of control and there's a point almost a point of no return I I don't fully believe that you can't not return but it's very difficult you know um so, but I feel like my soul always did want to live. I felt like there was enough around me, like there were people and influences that lit me up and made me in love with the world. So I, I feel like I would have fought it. And I feel like she she kind of had me. Natasha was supporting me. Um I do think it would have taken a lot longer. I think um, ha- not having assistance to physical recovery, especially when it's quite severe and when it's quite when when it's when you're young, when you have it. It's, it's just very hard to kind of set those, um, to do all that yourself. So I think I would have, but I think it would have, it would have taken longer. And perhaps I might not have been well enough in time for, to do the Harry Potter stuff, you know, um, and I kind of, you know, that's my belief in the universe, that the universe will push you in the right directions. There's certain things that are meant for you and that you have to go through. So um, yeah, it's, it's something I think about, yeah, ultimately, I think I always wanted to live and fight it, but who knows? And I think you have to kind of do both. You need the spiritual stuff and the physical stuff as a team. Well, and it's beautiful that you've made so much
1: peace with the way things happened. You know, the, the, the outcome was good. And so, you know, whatever you went through, you seem to have really accepted
2: I've made peace with it now. I think from writing the book, but I was I was for years really angry about how that treatment was handled, and and really felt upset that people didn't talk about it. That it was just kind of discussed in one word as treatment. So you went to treatment, and then you came out, and actually feeling no, I was I was psychologically damaged by that place, as were many young girls. And I i think I felt a determination with, with, with writing this book to speak up for those people who maybe were more damaged from that experience and actually couldn't speak about it. Because I, I really wanted to just vouch for more ethical, more humane treatment um, towards mental illnesses, um, to, to treat them as that they're coping mechanisms, and you have to be gentle with with helping people come out of them. Um, so, yeah, part of writing that book was speaking up for those people and saying, "Hey, look, we need more research. We need more funding for these mental illnesses, which people often, uh, you know, unhelpfully only recognize by their physical symptoms." And that was one of the
1: words that I wanted you to define, um, recovery, because for me, I. Recovered in Overeaters Anonymous through a 12 step program. So it was spiritual from day one. It was mm-hmm. also really hard in those early times. Right. I remember I would just want to eat so much that I would get in my car at 11 o'clock and drive until 12, which seemed like a reasonable time to have lunch. Mm-hmm. I felt like if I ate at 11, it, <laughs> It was you know wasn't going to yeah. be good and so i i remember you know that there was like i guess you'd say discipline in those ways but more recovery in my definition is is recovery from the inside out from from recovery at the desire level
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so you talk about the recovery, the physical recovery that you got in this um, center mm-hmm. Where, mm-hmm. where you were. And then you talk about the process of recovery from recovery.
2: Mm-hmm. Could you detail that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think physical recovery is just the very beginning. And that's not to dismiss it. It's so hard. I mean, it was one of the hardest things. It' probably the hardest thing I've been through. But it, it's like, okay, so the problem the urgent medical problems are are taken care of. They're out of the way. That's when I believe the real work can begin. That's when you can kind of say, right, what is it beneath that? Um, it's because those things can be a distraction from the root problem. Which for me was, who am I? Why am I here? What's the point of my life? You know. Um, so, I think it's more about it's about recovering the self. Like I talk about that a bit in the book that. Um, The two years that I was kind of like sustaining this, this eating disorder that was very physically demanding. That was every single day, a certain routine uh, that consumed all my energy and time and and a diet that also sapped all my creativity and everything, all my focus. Um, So doing that for two years. I've really eroded my personality. I had no friends. I stopped seeing friends. I didn't, I wasn't doing anything creative. I was trying, but like the eating disorder always took over. So I I do see recovery as you have to build a person and it's almost like you have to build, build, like find the, the little bits of yourself that you love that you want to recover but also build something new because when people had previously talked to me about recovery like oh you have to recover you have to recover you have to get back I remember feeling just like well I don't want to be who I was I didn't like her that's why I got this thing in the first place because I wanted to cover her up um so yeah it's about finding things you love and for me there were there were things like I loved acting I loved dancing performing um I was afraid to pursue those things because I thought I would fail and just uh, embarrass myself. But I luckily had people like Natasha and like my parents who really kind of nurtured those dreams and helped me build, build um, confidence in that. So then eventually like over time, it was like, Oh, you know what? I don't need this eating disorder to justify my existence. I have things that I I like living for and, and, and they're enough, but yeah, it's, it's all about rebuilding the self and, It's like you've sacrificed your identity to your eating disorder for years and you have to let that go. It's like an egoic identification, isn't it? It's identification with form and it's about, um, yeah, gradually saying, that's not me anymore. I don't need that. And I've got other things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So when you started acting and finding these things that you loved in the world, was it like remeeting your child self or? becoming your adult self
2: Mm. um yeah maybe more like who I was at my essence who I'd always been the child who really played freely and was so free in the imagination um but then you know you grow up and you're kind of like I have to make a way in the world I sort of have to make a name um so you do it with more intention and maybe not as freely, not as recklessly, but yeah, like I'd always loved fairy tales and books and dancing as, as a kid. And it was more, it was, it was bringing that back and, um, and finding space for that and, and, uh, yeah, doing it more consciously, I think. So
1: I know that when you discovered the Harry Potter books, your life changed and, (laughs) I related to that because at about the same age in my life, the Beatles showed up (laughs) and my whole life changed. Mm -hmm. So we've just got a minute and a half in this segment so we can carry this over if we need to. But talk to me a little bit about fandom because you were a fan and now you have lots of fans.
2: What's that whole phenomenon? Oh, in a minute and a half. Well, look. (laughs) I think, I mean, I, I love that phrase that my therapist or well, my shaman teacher gave me, it's in the book, if you spot it, you've got it, that if there's something you absolutely love or are captivated by in another person, it's because they're reflecting something in you that lights you up too. And it's more, I see that as like, you should take it as those people are giving you hints for who you are and, and go toward that. Those are your people, those are your communities. It's just that sometimes people can get confused especially young insecure people people who are looking for a sense of identity they can kind of start to deify you and go oh you're just this godly better person you're this superior being and i'm going to worship you and then they lose their identity um and i had a weird situation where i kind of was on both sides and it was a very abrupt switch and i really saw oh wow that's just a projection and it's strange what people are projecting onto me um but yeah i do see it now as when, when fans kind of look up to you, revere you, it's like, that's, you're just reacting to something in you. That's how I see it. Yeah. Is that, is that? It's so
1: that? interesting. And it seems like um, at the teenage time is when we're most... Um, susceptible to that, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's a normal thing. I think it's a little bit like some young girls get really into horses or yeah. or or other things. It's almost like we need something on the outside to to grab onto and then maybe circle back around and find ourselves. So listeners, if you're looking to find yourself, (laughs) I've got a book for you, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting by Ivana Lynch. It's so wonderful. You will lose yourself and you'll learn so much. And please stay tuned for these messages from Unity Online Radio. And we'll be back with more with Ivana Lynch.
0: Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: We are spiritual beings having a human
0: experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
1: Welcome back, everybody. And if you are new to our program, do check out what goes on at MainStreetVegan.net. We have all sorts of wonderful things. There's a weekly blog, which I sometimes write, and sometimes that's written by a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy. And you know what? If you want to take your vegan activism, your vegan outreach to the next level, do check out the academy. It's right there on the website. We're now on Zoom. We used to be in person in New York City, and people had to get themselves here and find a place to stay. And it was magnificent, but a lot of trouble. And now you can become a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator in your own living room. So do check that out. We would love to have you. Our next program starts in January of 2022. And now returning to our conversation with Ivana Lynch. It's so wonderful to be doing this on Zoom so that I can see you, Ivana. And at times I see your wonderful cat, (laughs) I love the whole interspeciesness of the way that we live. Yeah. <laughs> so the book is the opposite of butterfly hunting, the tragedy and glory of growing up. And you talk at the very end in an afterword about the title. Can you share a little bit about where that came from?
2: Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a metaphor. There actually was more on it in the long, uh, but the book's already so long. So, but there had been more. Uh, Cause one of my favorite authors is, Uh, well he was a lepidopterist so he studied butterflies and always I was always so captivated by his work and I would look at these pictures of butterflies and just see how beautiful they were and it was only while I was writing the book that I, I you know I'd always look through these books for comfort and I started to really see oh my gosh these butterflies have been killed you know they've actually been pinned to these boards to freeze their beauty and their their perfect little bodies in time And I really start to see that as a metaphor for eating disorders, that you can get distracted by the hunt for perfection and you think you're doing something um, good for yourself, something that's going to make you better. But in the process, you actually sacrifice your creativity, your life force, you know, the beauty of change. And um, yeah, I just don't think it's worth that cost. I don't think it's worth that sacrifice. So that's really what the title is about.
1: And you have a beautiful sentence in the book, which actually I find very comforting at my stage of life, even though you are so much younger, you wrote, you cannot freeze a body in time and fully live a life. And I see so often with people my age in in this culture that is so youth oriented, as well as thin oriented, Mm. that it's just do whatever you can to cling on to what used to be. And Mm. yet that just takes so much stress and strain when if you can just relax into the river of life and then let all the beauty on the banks come to you, it's just a better way to do
2: it. I agree. And I, I think like our bodies reflect the lives we've lived. And there's so much beauty in that. And I I just hate this idea that we should always be looking like Olympic athletes. Like, where did we get that idea? You know, and I've had periods of my life where I'm dancing a lot and then my body gets stronger and slimmer. And then other times when I'm just in my apartment writing and I put on weight, and it's just like that's fine. That like I, I do think there's beauty in all of that, that evolution. And you kind of sap your spirit if you try and if you just try and focus on physical perfection and keep keep yourself the same if you don't embrace change it's a hard concept i know because like you can get drawn in by youth like youth is prized and um thinness is prized by society and it, it takes a strong person and strong mind doesn't it to, to recognize the beauty in all the stages and not get pulled into that that mindset which is really all about marketing and making money you know um but I think you can and I think your life yeah it's just what really what I said that it's more um it's more full there's an author I love who she has another way of saying it um but Emily Natham she says it should be said for good asceticism does not enrich the spirit there is no virtue in deprivation and I just I tell myself that all the time I think it's very powerful and um it's a strong state like statement against the culture we we live in which is kind of encouraging us to hurt and suffer and not have so much pleasure in our lives and our bodies and you know life's too short
1: Mm. it's interesting what you talk about how the body reflects the the life that we're living and Mm -hmm. I think to not judge that is where we really (laughs) really get the the challenge I think even among athletes you know you can tell a a bodybuilder from a swimmer from a ballerina you know the Mm -hmm. body they're all fit strong bodies but they're different Mm -hmm. and and to just uh, accept where we are that's a big one. I think especially yeah. it was interesting to me that you talked about in your very early life, reading all the magazines. And now I think we're at a time where, of course, everything's electronic. I'm not sure if magazines are going to even last into the next generation. Mm-hmm. But I grew up on those magazines and what they said meant everything, if, yeah. if it was in 17, or if it was in Vogue, it was like it came down on stone tablets. And I'm yeah. sure that the influencers on Instagram are filling that, that void today. But it's just such a um, a life challenge to get those standards from within instead of mm. from those places.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, you have to appreciate the work of activists who fight that, you know, saying that your health isn't dependent on your size because it, like everyone you know i i have lots of friends who are much thinner than me and i've never had an eating disorder you know that's just their natural body type and uh there's you know likewise there are people who would have to starve themselves to be my size it, it's all it's just your genes isn't it and it's about you have to find what works for you what's your what 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 is your your body in balance and where you're not you're feeling like you're nurturing your body and you're not obsessively thinking about it. And that to me is like what recovery is and what health is.
0: Mm.
1: So I wanted to ask you, Ivana as someone who went through the eating disorder experience and now you're an adult and you want to take care of yourself. What do you do with this, this idea that living healthfully can be interpreted as Uh, deprivation, extreme measures. What do you do to keep yourself in that kind of middle, middle place?
2: Yeah. um, Well, I, I, you know, kind of recognized a long time ago that I can't detach from eating in in a totally non-emotional way, the way a lot of athletes can or people who are bodybuilders or Um, you know, some models do manage it. Like I do have a friend and she counts all her macros and everything, and she's able to do that. She's able to not feel shame if she messes up her diet. She just kind of goes, okay, you know, that was today, move on. Very, very um just structured about it, just uh logical. For me, I I, I find it really hard to um yeah, to not to not attach shame. So I, I don't I don't like to have rules and I mean for veganism helped me so much to let go of a lot of rules around food because it just took the focus off the nutrition the calorie content and it made it about who you know an expression of who i want to be like my heart and soul that kind of way um but i like i have limits i am not i'm i'm totally recovered as much as i feel like i'll ever be you know it's not like if i put on weight i wouldn't feel a bit triggered and find that hard um or or even things like, yeah, if I'm around people who are dieting a lot, I could be, that could be triggering as well, but I know to step away. Um, But I mean, that's why the end of the book, I talk a lot about movement, dance, uh, circus, that has helped me reconnect with my body in such a helpful, healthy, powerful way. I think for a long time, recovery for me was just disconnecting from my body, pretending it doesn't exist, just imagining that like, we're just not going to look at it. We're not going to consider it. And then coming to um, getting to dance and circus, it was like, I learned how to be my body's friend. And that was a big leap for me because I I really couldn't relate to all the self-love stuff. I was just like, what? I've been my body's bully. (laughs) Like I've been the meanest person towards my body for years. How am I going to suddenly jump to being a lover of this body? And that was just too big a leap. And it was like, Oh, whereas if I'm doing something I love, like dancing, something that kind of stimulates the dreamer or um, the inner child, and my body is helping me to do these moves, that, to, to, do these, to fulfill these visions it's like I have this appreciation for it and this gratitude. And then I have this sense of, I want to look after, it. I want to be its protector. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of my mental health. Those are my practices. But if I didn't have those, which I didn't during lockdown, I I, re- I do struggle and it's, I have to, there's not much you can do other than have therapy and journal and talk to people about it. You know, just feel the feelings. I think there's a lot to be said for not running and trying to fix the feelings, but to just... Um, feeling
1: them. Well, I loved your, your final chapter. And when you were talking about the circus skills and the silks and the hoops and the trapezes <laughs> and stuff like that, I wish that had been around when I was young. I did give myself uh, an aerial yoga class for my 65th birthday. And I absolutely loved that. It's nothing like what you do or what my daughter does. She's a professional aerialist. But there's this This incredible sense of I am suspended above the ground. And even though it's not very high, if I don't focus on what I'm doing, I'll fall on my head. So that's an almost forced meditation. Yes, it really is. I don't spend any time really being here now except then and that's what's so magical about it so tell us your experience with the circus skills
2: oh it's exactly that and and it's it grounds you in your body because it is quite um you know the writer glennon doyle she talks about this that women are scared out of their bodies men are often scared out of their feelings obviously there's in between that that it's not such a binary but um definitely like i felt i don't know how to be in my body i don't know how to to trust it and whereas circus it's so hard whatever level you're at if you're a complete beginner or if you're a professional you have to concentrate you have to like think of the muscles and it, it to me it's a perfect um collaboration or symbiotic relationship between mind and body and and I I also find it nicer I find it nicer than the dance community and th- this was just my personal experience but I found the dance community too competitive and, and maybe a bit too focused on physical you know aesthetic perfection whereas the circus was about storytelling and I've been I've done a few like um staycations weeks where you just do circus and it's it's fascinating how somebody can be a complete beginner and have very basic moves but they can tell such an endearing story through their inner child and through these interesting moves um so that's what I love this this combination of your imagination and and working with your body and uh, it's a very complete art to me and a a great therapy what what's your favorite apparatus the hoop I love the hoop yeah even though you
1: wrote in the hoop in the book about how painful
2: it's so (laughs) painful but I maybe a little bit of me likes that like it might be the Irish in me that's like right I'm suffering for this and I that's something too I should probably examine but there is this idea in, in Ireland that to be really proud of something you have to hurt a little bit <laughs> so it kind of calms that part of me um I don't and I don't mind and the pain does go it gets less intense anyway yeah and you're proud yeah. of your bruises you're like I earned these it's great <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah I took one hoop class and it was like oh that's for next lifetime but oh no I admire well, you
2: <laughs> the first is hardest maybe first second third classes are so hard but if you were to go back You will be amazed how your body adapts. I believe you can do it, Victoria. You've done much harder things in your life.
1: Well, that's a possibility for New (laughs) Year's resolutions next year. But it's so interesting to me when I started going to the circus shows that my daughter was part of, that was really when I got the body positivity message so clearly because I grew up in an era where the implication was that if you were not very, very small in life, there were many, many physical um, skills that you just could not acquire. It was just off off the table for you. But mm-hmm. to see these circus performers of varying body types do these incredible feats mm-hmm. it's really inspiring
2: that's so true, yeah, like they it's Exactly. You see people and they're not rippling in muscles, but they have this strength, this incredible strength. And um, yeah, that's what's so nice about it. it. Like, I mean, that's what the term circus freak is. It's a community of just these misfits who want to express themselves and who are reclaiming their bodies in a very cool way.
1: And another thing that I think is wonderful about living right now is that word circus. I believe we have taken it back from the idea of, oh, that's where you go to see abused and tortured animals perform. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many circuses that have nothing to do with animals and everything to do with skill and beauty and thrills. So that's very cool. It's
2: not, it's not about cruelty. Yeah. Yeah and um, I, I mean Cirque du Soleil they're the masters of that but you go to them circuses and you're just like why would we ever do that to an animal why would you enslave an animal and um, that there's just so much the human body is capable of and our minds our imagination so yeah I, I agree there's obviously still places that do it but I think there's a lot more awareness and education of um, you know what you see in the show is not the full story and it's right. actually quite sinister yeah So tell us a little bit about your veganism,
1: about your animal rights sensitivities, and Mm -hmm. could you also touch on very often, anyone who has or has had an eating disorder is discouraged by the medical and psychological community against Mm -hmm. going vegan. So what do you do with all that? (laughs)
2: Um, I know that that's a thing and I was discouraged from it too but I think that's um it's like a, a meat eater's way of looking at veganism this idea that veganism is what you don't eat when you know my diet became so much more varied and interesting when I went vegan in the right way so I think I first approached veganism from okay I got a quit all these foods that i actually really love the taste of you know and um and that felt really miserable that that's why i i don't have like a vegan anniversary because i didn't have a a a date where I, i had so many um i kept giving up on veganism and going back to vegetarianism and it was only when a friend of mine said to me he told me about the crowding out method he said about before you cut anything out of your diet add in all the vegan you know the alternatives the plant milks and everything and he said you'll adjust to those tastes you'll learn about what you like what you don't like and then over time the animal products will kind of fall out of your diet and and that's exactly what happened for me and it like I learned how to eat in a really joyful way I felt really abundant as I said it took the focus off of the nutritional content that made me think about um food as an expression of my values um so I think there's so much to be said for i actually know a lot of people who are vegan and had an eating disorder uh, bruna in the book who's into circus as well um my friend she ruby in the book she was at the treatment center she now has a vegan blog i think a lot of these people yeah are just very sensitive thoughtful creative people and uh um by the way her name is not ruby and <laughs> um, i have to change i you know i want to protect people's privacy but they they a lot of these people who develop these problems are just too sensitive for the world and then as kids it's destructive but they grow up and learn how to manage it and I think so many of them totally get that connection with animals and they just um, it's hard not to feel that so I am somebody who thinks there's a lot of healing to be found and almost maybe something in the idea that having the structure around veganism maybe creates a sense of safety around food that then makes you feel safe to explore and um, it helped me get rid of the labels of good foods and bad foods and to stop using it as as punishment as food as punishment or reward so i think there's a lot to be said but I, but i do also would say you know maybe not be the answer to everyone I, I, I think you have to prioritize your health and and what feels like i maybe wouldn't have been able to go vegan when i just got out of the eating disorder center you know sometimes you'll be in places where uh, as a vegan you have to say no to the delicious foods and there aren't vegan options and that can be quite hard as somebody recovering um but yeah i i i guess i'm saying that i hope there's more research done into this topic i'd love for somebody to write a book on this because personally i found it very healing but that that's just my story well i think
1: when you talk about people who are sensitive that's just such a big deal. And I know that there is some research into the sensitive a personality type, but I don't think nearly enough because it's almost like there are two types of people in the world, those who whose feelings are the main way they process life. Yeah. And then other people who are processing, I don't know, intellectually or, or some other way. Yes, yes. But to me, when I see an image of animal suffering or human suffering for that matter, it's 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 so meaningful. And on the other hand, when I see something wonderful that that people or other than human beings do, I was watching a video yesterday on the dodo about a, a little dog, an elderly dog in South Africa, who fell into the swimming pool when the humans were away, and the other family dog, a rescue who's deathly afraid of water, manages to save the little elderly dog. And oh. it took, it, it, I think it was a female dog who saved her. I took her four tries and you can just see her because the security camera was filming all of this and she tries to pull the little dog out of the water and falls back in and tries again and when when it finally happens you know the triumph of this love of one being of another it just takes me over like it's the most important thing that's happened on earth in a really long time and i think a lot of people would say oh yeah that's cool (laughs) Right. So there's a difference. Not I think as, in, yeah, not connected. how we process.
2: That's true. Yeah. And yeah, I, I I don't, I'm quite glad to be this way, but I am glad for those people too. Because um, I think they, they make it, but, but I, I'm like you. Where if I read those stories, like there's a story in your book, I think it's in Main Street Vegan, where you talk about the. I always think of it and I tell it to other people. You talk about the cow who trusted the man, you know, she was afraid and and she wasn't going to come out of the truck and then she trusted him. And he led her into the slaughterhouse and like she trusted him and he betrayed her and that's what we and that is just so heartbreaking to me and so that speaks to me so much more than the facts than the stuff about the climate or even the numbers of animals we killed. it's like the individual stories and journeys i just that's how i understand life and that's how you know how to communicate with people so um yeah i think that's the kind of activist i i am and 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 what i relate to but yes. I suppose we, we we
1: do need both. We do I we need well both. <laughs> we do. I think if everybody were as sensitive as you and me, we probably wouldn't have skyscrapers and roads. <laughs> no. But wouldn't I I do nice? love also the idea that people that are that see the world differently or process the world differently do have these wonderful factual reasons with the statistics for why they're going vegan. Mm. So we can get people from everywhere. Mm -hmm. You say something in your book, Ivana, that was beautiful. You said nurture the dreamer.
2: Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Oh, I think it's just following whatever pulls at your heartstrings. Really. Um, It's about, you know, nurturing your dreams over your fears because there'll always be a a fearful thought to combat the the loving thought you know are you going to today whatever it is go to a circus class or are you going to um what what are other things people do (laughs) I don't know um go to a show put yourself out there do some improv or are you going to stay at home and decide that you're going on a diet you know and that, that's not a strict thing because for some reason for some people it might be the positive thing to do to go on a diet and to work on their health but um yeah I think it's always it's always about choosing the more risky choice thing that will expand your life and 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 make it better over the thing that will just kind of keep you small and safe and lonely um because I am always tempted to give in to the fears and go like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go and join that acting class because I'll embarrass myself. I should just stay at home and like focus on my mean thoughts because they do feel safe, the mean thoughts. It means you won't open yourself up to hurt. But, you know, I just find the more you keep nurturing the dreamer and and pursuing the things that light you up, the more your life expands and you meet amazing people.
1: Well, for everybody who knows your work whether as an actress or now as a writer uh thank you for nurturing the dreamer in you because it does a lot for us so you also say in your book that everybody is either an entertainer or an observer (laughs) tell us about that
2: i believe britney spears said that that's a britney spears quote Ah. (laughs) i quoted her in that um i I think there's like it it was a commentary on the whole fandom thing of um participating actively or sitting back and observing and i think we have to be both in in certain circles um i definitely like i'm an observer i listen to loads of podcasts and i'm quite happy to just sit in the audience on on certain topics which i don't know very much about um i i I was more just saying that as like it's important to also put yourself out there there are areas of your life where you'll have to show up fully and completely and um you know in, embody your own gifts and 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 live a more empowered way you know so say with writing for so long i was just like i can't do that i can't do that that's for other people that's for clever people who have english degrees and who read all these books and um and that was me giving my power away i think i had to i had to push myself to be like no you know, even though I may not be the cleverest person or I maybe would be a better writer if I had an English degree, I think I have something to say. And I think I have to step into the arena and <laughs> step into the ring, if, if you will. Um, yeah. And, and it was the same with acting. I was I was quite happy looking out, looking at all the actors being like, aren't they wonderful? But I found um, a lot of fulfillment and, and connection in, in putting myself out there, too. So I think, Yeah, if there are people who are afraid to pursue their dream or thinking that it's not for them, I think they need to maybe push themselves out there and and, uh, know that they have something to contribute.
1: Well, again, I'm so happy that you did it. The book is the opposite of butterfly hunting, the tragedy and the glory of growing up. Read it. Get a copy for your daughter. It's magnificent. As are you, Ivana. Thanks so much.
2: Likewise. Thanks, Victoria.
1: To everybody listening, God bless you. Eat your veggies. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.